Hi, this is Beth AQ, and this is the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. The Glass House is a space for spoken word artists, poets, sound makers, audio storytellers, emerging cultural leaders, thinkers, writers, and anyone who celebrates story as a means of self-expression, self-representation, and community building. I hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at BethanyAQ or the Triple R website. I acknowledge that we broadcast on the stolen, unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation who've cared for this land since time immemorial. Pay my respects to elders past and present and extend that to you if you're First Nations and you're listening this morning, this afternoon, I should say. Always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Coming up on the show today, I'm thrilled I'm going to be joined by producer, curator, director and co-founder of The Pin, Lucy Cutting. If you don't know The Pin, The Pin was created in 2015 as a discussion platform centred around representing multinational and multicultural people in a diverse range of conversations about race, identity and culture within the Australian narrative. And over the years, they've published dozens of interviews, they've written reflections, they've sold out uh, events, um, they've also created this phenomenal online resource that has been meaningful to so many in the artistic community. And recently, Lucy and Ketchy, the co-founders, have made the call to hang up their boots after an incredible six years. Um, But never fear, all of the resources are going to be archived on the National Library of Australia's online archive. So today, Lucy's going to join me to speak about what they've created over that time and perhaps how the dialogue has changed since they first began all those years ago. Very much looking forward to chatting with Lucy. I hope you can stay with me. That's right. You are listening to Triple R. The Glass House is the name of the show. It's the Pin was created in 2015 as a discussion platform centred around representing multinational and multicultural people in a diverse range of conversations about race, identity and culture within the Australian narrative. It was created six years ago by Lucy Cutting and Ketchy Anelli, and in its time has run sold-out events, published dozens of interviews, and created a space for provocation and for community. Uh, a few weeks ago, though, Lucy and Ketchy decided that it was time to wrap up the project uh, to make way for something new, I'm sure. Uh, today, I am so thrilled to be joined by radio producer, presenter, curator, director of The Pin, Lucille Cutting, to speak all about the amazing work that The Pin has done over the years. Lucy, thank you so much for your time today. Hi, Beth. Thank you for having me. It is such uh, such a pleasure to have you on. You know, firstly, I want to say congratulations on an epic innings. You know, you've been doing running The Pin for six years. Um, I know that creating initiatives like this is such a huge undertaking. Let's start at the beginning. You created The Pin in 2015 alongside Ketchy. Why did you want to create it? It just felt like it needed to be created. It was a space that didn't really exist. Both Ketchy and I are African-Australian, more specifically Nigerian-Australian women, and we just couldn't find media that represented us. And we, in not being able to, able to find media that represented us, we couldn't explore the questions that we had about our identity on a larger scale and reflect on the feelings that we had about our identity and why sometimes we felt like we didn't 
really fit in either camp. Uh, so it was quite an organic start in a sense because Ketchy and I were literally just having a conversation one day about identity and about that where are you from question. And it had been, you know, I can't even count how many times we'd had that conversation in our friendship, but it was one of the 100 times that we'd had the conversation. And suddenly we thought, why don't we just create the space? If nobody else is doing it, we have the skills, we have enough experience and understanding of how to do this. And we both love having a chat. So let's just create a space. I love that. And I think we have that in common. Um, You know, the pin believes that, you know, telling authentic personal stories is a way to represent diverse identities, to form a sense of connection, and also, I suppose, inspire confidence with other people from perhaps a similar background. Can you tell me a little bit about that mission that you created and how it's shaped the work over the years? Yeah, so I guess at the start, when we created it, it took a while to come up with the name and then we came up with uh, a kind of catchphrase almost of race, culture and identity. And so that formed really the, the basis of all the conversations. And then over the years, though, we found, even after the first year, I'm guessing, we found that after having quite a lot of conversations, yes, that was a big part of the conversation, but it wasn't the only part. And so as the website evolved and as we started to do uh, kind of events and, you know, more longer form written pieces and even video work as well as uh, most recently we did some podcast stuff, it kind of became the background narrative of the conversations and the conversations were really much more focused on the person and what they were doing in their life and then how those concepts fed into them. Whereas when I look back on those initial interviews that we were doing, they were so focused on, you know, asking very direct questions about identity or race or culture. It it really did change quite a lot over the years and I think the great thing about that was you know, for people who work in different industries or have different passions, you could really see yourself in a person's story. It didn't have to be directly about their identity. It was more about how they were navigating their industry or whatever their passion was, but with that tied into it. Mm. I think that's something amazing about projects like this is that it's able to evolve and change as the conversations do. And, you know, you're responding to the people that you're working with and I'm sure what people want to read as well. You know, I remember uh, going to a PIN event at the Curtain back in 2017. Uh, You know, I just, I I can't remember who was on stage. It was like Briggs. I just, I remember Namilla was there. I think Namilla was hosting Uncle Jack was there. It was just like a who's who of like creatives in Melbourne. And I just remember sitting there being like, wow, what they've made is just really amazing because it's so much about, I suppose, bringing people together as much as it is a resource on your website as well. I'm interested, I suppose, in that kind of aspect of, you know, the community building and, and how that played into the vision of what you wanted the pin to be. It was always about community and it was always about the people. That was the the primary, I guess, uh, consideration of what we were doing. And so doing live events was just an extension of trying to reach out to community and trying to make it feel like it wasn't just an online space. And those events, like I remember that event really well and I get shivers thinking about it, people like Uncle Jack Charles. It was such an incredible and special uh, event to create. And then also to see where those people are now, like Briggs, and I was just mm-hmm. listening to Briggs's amazing song Shadows, uh, a remix with Troy Cassadaly just yesterday and thinking about where he's travelled in his career also. So it was always about community and 
once we did that first event, we knew that we just had to keep getting out there. It could never just be an online space uh, because I think it's so essential to create spaces where people can actually gather together as well. And uh, as as you're probably well aware, I live in Tasmania and Ketchy's in Melbourne. And so it was always this interesting kind of thing of, okay, let's, let's both try and fly to this place and get these people here. And we ended up doing events that were Madelaide and uh, also uh, up Byron Bay well as well, as well for Splendour in the Grass. So it wasn't just about being in places where we lived either. It was about reaching out to communities across Australia to make sure that they had the opportunity to be involved too. Uh, We had people requesting events in places all over Australia and, you know, I'd love to still be able to to get over to those other places and and create events, maybe not necessarily under the pin banner, but still, you know, keep that community going. Mm. I mean, that just feels like the biggest sign of success when you have people being like, come and do one here, which I, yeah. mean, I think is a testament to what you've created. So, yeah, huge congratulations. I, I would like to talk about the website a little bit itself because it is such a treasure trove um, of really thought-provoking interviews, you know, again, kind of like a who's who of creatives in this country, Sam for the great, Remy, Mark Fennell, Khalid Wasame, Tonga Tem, the list goes on. People check it out, thepin.org. Uh, Tell me a little bit about what that curatorial process was like when you're trying to figure out who you're going to spotlight and what you're going to talk about. Uh, it was people that we just really wanted to talk to, to be completely blunt. But also, I think over the years, it became about thinking a little bit outside of the box of people that we just wanted to talk to, reaching out to people who were up and coming, as well as talking to people who had spent, you know, decades of their life asking those questions of, well, answering those questions of where are you from or thinking about their identity. Um, so definitely at the start, you know, we had this kind of wish list of people like Sampa the Great, Emily Wurramara. Um, I can't even think of how many people we talked to. Uh, Sean Tan was somebody I really wanted to chat with. And then over the years, I started to think about, uh, you know, people perhaps more my mother's age or older than my mother who uh, had such a, a rich lived experience that that needed to be showcased as well. And so y- you can kind of see that in the content that over the years it becomes a bit broader as well. And one of the, the last interviews I did was actually with a, a woman uh, who lives in a rural town in, in Australia and uh, I think she's possibly in her late 60s, 70s, but her her story is very much one of her parents escaping from war and, uh, you know, kind of her changing her name to an English surname after she became married and noticing all of the kind of things that changed because of that. So I loved that we were able to reach out to those older age groups too and that became so important as well. And even in the think pieces, which were kind of the the longer form pieces that we had where we invited people to write, uh, we also featured... Uh, chapters from books as well and that was very much a space where I felt like it could be a really broad conversation and so there were conversations in there that are LGBTIQ plus there were conversations in there that were from older generations as well and I'm particularly proud of the fact that we were able to do that and and have a a wide range of stories featured. Mm. If you have just joined us we are chatting with Lucy Cutting who is one of the co-founders of The Pin a really incredible uh, resource Uh, that dissects race, identity and culture and also so much more um, as you are hearing. Lucy, I think 
yeah, what you're what you're saying is 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 so interesting to me. Something that I have only recently listened to is the podcast that the um, Pin has created, the Pin Talks, and one of the interviews that you did was with a 16 year old called Basil, and I loved that because as you're talking about this kind of intergenerational element of having these conversations, it is important to talk to people that are a bit older and also people that are coming up and what their experience of um, of race is like, but also what it means to be uh, you know. Uh, uh, just a young person today. Tell me a little bit about, I suppose, this conversation with Basil and maybe what you learned from Basil. Yeah, sure. Uh, we love Basil. Ketchy and I kind of have followed Basil since he attended one of our events at the Melbourne Recital Centre, uh, which, uh, gosh, once again, a big cast of people, but uh, Remy was on the panel and uh, Carly Finlay was on the panel as well. And Basil stood up and asked this question about identity. At the time, I think he was maybe 11 years old, uh, 11 or 12, I think. And he just asked, how can I be a proud African man? But he didn't just ask it in English. He introduced himself in his mother tongue as well. And so instantly we thought, wow, this kid's really special because he's asking this question, but he's not just asking it in English he obviously is quite proud if he's able to stand up and introduce himself in his mother tongue. And so we just kept in touch with him and we interviewed him after the event and he was just such an interesting young person who was thinking so much about this stuff already at a young age, about race and culture and identity, but also thinking about racism and thinking about how he fits into his community and how uh, black male identity can be so shaped by what others expect and think black men should be like. And uh, from being part of the PIN, Basil also did a bit of work with ABC TV as well. And then when we decided to do a podcast, we thought, who else to speak with but Basil to see what's happening in his life? And as it turns out, he's actually been doing some film work and he's still thinking about this stuff and he's standing up for people now as well, which is really beautiful. It was so inspiring to hear from him. I'm like, wow, this, this these kids are smart. I shouldn't say kids, he's 16, but... They're so smart and they're so onto it and just honouring their, you know, lived experience as this real um, powerful knowledge that they have and standing in that and really being, um, yeah, just the conviction. It's really, I'm, I was just really in awe of it. Um, so that was yeah. such a beautiful conversation to listen to. Um, Lucy, I, something I'd love to know a little bit about is, you know, this project, I know you started with Ketchy, a very good friend, a best friend of yours, Um I think when you're doing a you know durational work like the pin that's gone for six years, it's it's such a it's such a big beast. I imagine it's got many um, ups and downs throughout it. Can you tell me a little bit about that creative collaboration and perhaps how it shifted over those years? Yeah, I think for both of us, even though we had experience in interviewing and uh, I guess uh, being interviewed as well, we had no concept of how big a project this would be come or even how time consuming it would be. And I think at the time, uh, I would say we were both quite young and we still are, but we were younger than we are now. And we just had that energy that you have when say you live in a share house and perhaps, you know, your work isn't as time consuming as it as it might become. Uh, I didn't have a kid at the time either. And so we just threw ourselves entirely into it. It became our lives. And and I'm so proud of what we achieved during that time, but we had serious burnout at one point and had to kind of step back a little bit and uh, set some boundaries around, 
you know, maintaining our friendship, but also maintaining the pin as well. And so that probably happened about two years in where we started to actually have more specific roles within the pin and actually kind of, uh, you know, uh, have the conversations about managing the website away from our friendship mm-hmm. and actually dedicate time to our friendship as well. And then over the years as well, I guess we really started to realise what our passions were within it. And so we were able to say, okay, you know, Ketchy's perhaps doing these types of interviews, Lucy's doing these types of interviews, and then who's managing the website and all that kind of stuff. And when are you answering emails and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's, been big and I can't say that we ever um, were as structured as we should be but I would also say we're not very structured people you know we work in an industry where we're working all the time so so it was um, it was definitely something that we fit we fitted in on the side of our life as as we got older and our responsibilities became more yeah Mm. and it's a huge thing to fit in around the edges of already huge lives so I mean (laughs) Just like hats off to you. I think it's just incredible what you've done. Um, I'd love to know, I suppose, you know, I was going back and kind of reading through the website and, you know, you've conducted interviews across the podcast, across live events, um, you know, that have been published. I know you're a radio producer yourself. I'm interested over that time, perhaps what you've learned about the art of interviewing and, and how it's different across those forms. I think uh, the types of interviews that I love to do are those kind of discovery interviews, which I think you also love to do, Beth. And what I've really learned is it's all about listening. It's not necessarily about having structured questions. I think it's also what I've really learned is it's about making people comfortable too. If you're doing a discovery interview, which is one where you're learning about someone's life, you need to approach that with respect and with the energy that they put into it too. And you need to also approach it in a way where um, that relationship extends beyond just getting the interview. Mm-hmm. So I've really learnt the value of relationships and trust and respect from it. Mm-hmm. In terms of interview technique, um, I've really learnt to leave space in conversation and space for somebody to say, finish answering, but then maybe they have another thought and they want to continue to talk. Mm-hmm. That That's become something that's really important to me. Uh, and just following where they're going. You know, maybe I have maybe I have five questions written down, but that'll turn into 10 or it'll turn into completely different questions. Mm. And being comfortable with letting it go like that mm. has been uh, something that I've had the privilege to really experience through the pin and develop as well as an interviewer. Mm. This feels very meta right now because I'm thinking of all these <laughs> things as we're talking, but I, I mean, I relate to a lot of those things and yeah, just that element of listening. I mean, it sounds so simple, but it's actually, it's com- it's a complicated beast when you're managing kind of interpersonal, any kind of conversation. So yeah, thank you. I, I, I really agree. You know, Lucy, I was reading um, a piece that you actually wrote um, on the pin, which was uh, about your experience of medical racism when you uh, were pregnant and what that was like and kind of navigating a healthcare system that is in many ways underpinned by racism. I'm interested, I suppose, when you're writing something for a, a platform that you've created yourself, does that change your relationship with it or does it kind of extend um, what it means for you to be able to have this platform that didn't exist previously? Mm. That's a really interesting question. I think it, 
whenever I was talking to somebody for the pin, there was always this this really strong trust with the platform that they were sharing their story to. And it was always a process that went back and forth where, uh, you know, I'd say to them, "Is are you okay with how this interview represents you? Is there anything you want to change? Is there anything you want to add? And so it was always about respect and and trust on the platform. And so sharing my own story uh, on the pin was also me showing that I trusted the platform I was putting it on and that I was open to sharing so personally on there because it is an incredibly personal story. And, uh, you know, when I wasn't, I don't think I would have given that to just any news platform. Mm. I don't think I would have just sent that to a magazine. Um, it, I think also the pin was a space that enabled me to actually tell that story and actually made me think about telling that story and how it might actually help somebody else as well Mm -hmm. and might actually even help medical professionals to think about their blind spots too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's... That's a really powerful reflection and I hope that, yeah, it, it just, it must feel, you must feel a lot of pride being able to create a space like that for yourself, but also for all of these other people that you've created it for. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it was really important to me when we started having conversations about finishing the website and closing it down, that it actually continued to exist because these are stories that people have entrusted us with and you can't just, you know, take all of those stories and then suddenly close down a website. So for me, it was really important to think about how they could continue on. And so something that I did do was I contacted the National Library of Australia and their online um, database Trove, uh, which kind of is almost like a national memory, really, that is online and available, and just said, hey, this is a website that has existed since 2015. It's all about Australian stories. It's all about identity and, you know, uh, people who don't identify as Australian as well. The stories are there. Can you keep them alive? And instantly they said yes. And so uh, even once the website closes down, that will continue to exist through Trove. I'm so happy to hear that because I think what you've created is so rich and so nuanced and many years of work have gone into it. And yeah, it's this historical artifact now that will exist through a library, which, yeah, I think is is incredibly amazing. Do you feel like that kind of, what I mean, what does that record keeping mean to you to have something that you've created, you know, within this kind of formalised archive in the in the library? Oh, it means so much. Uh, Ketchy and I met in a library. So we both used to work in a university library and spent many, many hours on Trove uh, transcribing newspaper articles that were yet to be transcribed in our spare time at the library when we had nothing to do. And it was actually encouraged and we kind of had a competition around it as well. Um, So to actually, it's almost like going full circle in our friendship to actually have something up on that website. And uh, it doesn't need to be transcribed though, luckily. (laughs) But um, just having something in that national memory as well that is actually representative of what this country looks like and the stories contained in this country. I think that's really special. Um, When I think of what is on Trove, it's a lot of articles from, you know, the 1800s upwards. And we all know that Australian media since colonisation has been uh, about erasure and about white stories. And so, you know, even up until the 1960s, 70s, 80s, that was still the case. And so it's really special to be added, to be adding to that national memory and to know that 
those stories are there amongst the other stories and they deserve to be there. Mm. Something I have to ask you before I let you go is, you know, when you created the pin six years ago, the kind of arts and literary landscape looked quite different. I think that there's been a proliferation of own voices, perhaps that have kind of entered into the mainstream consciousness. They've always been there. But I'm interested in your perspective how has this changed, you know, what the pin is over those years and, and yeah, what it is today? Ooh, I think I, I kind of feel like the grandma. Um, <laughs> I have young people reach out to me in their night, in, you know, before they're even 20 saying, hey, I'm creating this thing, I'm creating this podcast, can, can we interview you because we saw that you created the pin and it makes me feel like such a nana. <laughs> um, but I'm also really excited by that and I think that, you know, possibly for some of these people, they looked at the pin and that was what gave them the confidence to actually do that. And it's also really exciting for me because I feel like the pin gave me so much confidence and experience in interviewing and really up to my skills as well in that space. And it's so nice to be able to actually talk to people stepping into this space and say, hey, I love what you're doing. I'm happy to help. I'm happy to support you. I'm happy to give you advice. I'm happy to support your grant application too if I really believe in what you're doing. And so that's something that I've done. I've written uh, support letters for a number of people and have actually seen them get grants to create projects, which I just absolutely love. Mm. Um, so I see it as as a foundation for for these stories basically, yeah. I have no doubt that you are that person for so many people and all the work that you've done with The Pin. And it's amazing because you are continuing this mission of The Pin through different means by supporting people with grant applications. And yeah, it's really fabulous. Um, Lucy, thank you so much for your time this afternoon and congratulations um, Yeah, on an amazing innings on The Pin. Thanks very much, Beth. And lovely to hear your work as well. I've followed your career and really enjoyed watching it. So thank you for your time. Lovely to chat with you from on an interview level as well. <laughs> That's so nice. Uh, the wonderful Lucy Cutting there, who is the co-founder uh, of The Pin, was created in 2015 as a discussion platform centred around representing multinational and multicultural people in a diverse range of conversations around race, identity and culture within the Australian narrative. You can check it out if you want online. It's still up for the time being. Being the pin.org. I highly recommend you do it. There's so many wonderful treasures on there that you can dive into, but also, of course, it will be um, up uh, archived via the National Library of Australia's online archive. You are listening to Triple R. That's it for me for the Glass House for today. Do you want to say a big thank you to the wonderful Lucy Cutting for joining me to chat all about the pin? If you did miss it, and you want to catch it back, it'll be right up after the show on our website, rrr.org.au. Or you can also check out the pin at thepin.org. They've got amazing resources up on their website. Great interviews, great think pieces. It's all up there. I'll be back with you next Wednesday. Keep it locked to Triple R. I'll catch you next week. This is Beth AQ. Thanks for listening to the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at Bethany AQ or the Triple R website.